Are you looking for the best tips and tricks to run a successful dental practice? You're in the right place. Welcome to Bulletproof Dental Practice, interviewing some of today's most successful dentists with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Peter Bolden, and today I'm excited to have with us Dr. Jonathan Abenine. Um, Dr. Abenine graduated from the University of Pennsylvania School of Dentistry with the honors in prosthetic dentistry, endodontics, and pain management. He received the E. Howell Smith Award in prosthetic dentistry and was awarded a fellowship and diplomat status in the International Congress of Oral Implantologists. He has a successful practice, the Jonathan Dental Spa in Hawthorne, New Jersey, uh, Dr. Abenine is, is passionate about digital dentistry and opened his uh, SMILE syllabus in 2016, which is a, is a learning institute, a teaching institute. So Dr. Abenine also dedicates his time to teaching future doctors about the latest and greatest in implant dentistry and guiding dental practices on how to transform their workplace and their lives through the SMILE syllabus way. He, reside in, uh, he resides in New, New Jersey with his wife, Sarah, and four beautiful kids. And the reason I wanted to have Dr. Jonathan on the podcast is that my surgical dentist, Dr. Andrew Curry, went to the Smile Syllabus course and was truly raving about the course. Um, and so as a lot of you know, this is not a clinical podcast, but I think having a conversation about the emergence and, and eventual dominance of the digital workflow is something I really wanted to get someone on who's teaching it, living it, doing it. And so anyway... Dr. Jonathan, welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, buddy. Hey, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. Doing, doing, doing great. Doing great. Wednesday is the best day ever. You, what'd you say? Today is the best day ever? Today and Wednesday, every Wednesday is the best day ever. That's like the dentist mental health day. <laughs> tell me. Tell me My, why. I love it. It's like I, uh, I don't work on Wednesdays. I mean, I never work a day in my life, thank God. Because uh, I work with an unbelievable team and I have amazing patients and I love what I do. But that Wednesday is the day that I take off and I literally have my brain to talk about, to just sort of relax and regroup so that I can go and kill it on Thursday and be ready for the weekend. So today's so a great work, day. I love Wednesdays. So what is your schedule before we kind of get into the kind of, what is your schedule look like? <clears throat> so I work on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. My, cl my clinic hours are 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And uh, we used to work till 7 p.m. We changed it to 6 just because I want to be able to have my team to be able to go home to their kids. Mm -hmm. And um, Wednesdays I take off and Fridays I teach at, the, at NYU in the implant department. And then the weekend is my family time to try and uh, re-catch up. But all the other hours that are not within my clinic hours is when I literally try and figure out better ways to do what we do every single day as dentists, whether it comes from practice management to clinical dentistry to anything that involves the dental practice and my own personal life, I spend all that time thinking about it. I try to sleep as little as I possibly can. I once tried to sleep for three hours at a time. By Friday, I couldn't stand anymore. So I'm shooting now for about five, five hours a night because wow. there's so much fun. There's such amazing stuff going on in dentistry today that I don't want to miss a second of it because I know that I can... The more I get to, uh, to write up, the more workflows I get to create, the more I have the ability to influence and affect other people's lives, whether it's my patients or more importantly, dentists who allow me, the way that I look at it is that when I train a dentist, it's as if I'm actually training, uh, treating that patient and allows me to have my hand in 
the patients and allow them allow me to change people's lives through my workflows. Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I love the fact that you really just spoke the value of your, of your Wednesday because I just recorded a podcast. I actually just did it. I didn't interview anyone, but I just reported a podcast this morning where I talked about kind of the, the how you work on your business and why that's so important because a lot of dentists will preserve, you know, they'll do Monday through Thursday clinically and they'll preserve, oh, I'm going to work on my business Friday, which never happens because you're burned out of 40 hours of dentistry for the week. Right. But so I like that you kind of put it on a Wednesday, it kind of breaks up your week a little bit and you, uh, you can emerge uh, triumphantly on, on both sides. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing. I, uh, in 2016, my team and I, we wrote a book called the trust factor and it's really talking about empowering your patients, empowering your team and empowering your dental practice. And one of the things that we, we sort of, uh, incorporate in our practice is the 80, 20 rule. We don't expect to treat every single patient that comes through the door. We expect to treat every correct patient, every patient that's a good fit for our practice, so mm-hmm. that we have the ability to work smarter as opposed to working harder. Because so many times in a dental office, you can look at your schedule and you're like, man, my schedule is slammed. I have three, three uh, what's it called again? Three, three columns are full. I'm running around with my head cut off. I got to check hygiene. And then you check at the end of the day and you made 2500 bucks, And you're like, why am I doing this? why am I doing this? And you feel like a hamster on a wheel. And one of the, the changes that we had in our practice is that we decided we're now going to work smarter instead of harder. So what are the so things instead that, of extending, yeah. instead of extending our hours, we've actually shortened our hours. Okay. So well, yeah, what are the, when, so, when you had that, when you had that revelation and you said, all right, we're going to do that. Like what were some immediate action items that you had to curtail like right away when you said, all right, let's, let's start working. Well, yeah. So one of the things we had to do is that, you know, we, I always hear other people talk about this. I think I heard, uh, I heard one of my mentors, uh, Heather Smith, speak about this. She says that you need to make sure that your house is in order first before you go out, before you invite people in. So one of the things we need to make sure is we had the right team, that the team believed the vision. Because how many times have you interviewed somebody for a job and they say, how many hours am I going to get? Mm-hmm. How many hours does this job involve? And right. what they're thinking of is like, okay, you pay me $15 an hour. It's 40 hours a week. Multiply that by 15. I'm not that good at math, but that's what they equal. Like, okay, I need to work 40 hours a week because the typical employee will think of X amount of hours equals X amount of income. And that's what I need to do to survive based on the budget that I need to live. Whereas mm-hmm. in our practice is like, how are we going to be able to change as many people's lives, work as smart as possible and still have the life of somebody who works 40 hours? Meaning, how do we have time to do things for ourselves? So that's one of the things. Like, one of the things we decided is that we're never going to go into the insurance vortex. We take insurance. We don't participate with insurance, but we don't get stuck into that vortex. Because one of the things I learned is that when I was on insurance, I used to look at the amount of time we spent submitting insurance, the amount of time we spent fighting with insurance, the amount of patients we lost because the insurance said they were going to pay us when they didn't the amount of manpower that we did c- compared to the percentage of our practice that was actually insurance-based, it was mind-boggling how we spent so much time on so little income. So what we did was we basically came out of network. Our patients never lost anything. They still were able to come in for their cleaning and not, and not have a copay. We still had the freedom to be able to do the dentistry that we wanted to do, spend the time to educate the patients, and really have people do something that makes a difference. An assistant doesn't want to suck spit. 
An assistant doesn't want to clean up after you. An assistant wants to know that she or he is making a difference that knows that he or she is the person on the left or the right-hand side that's really helping the patient. It's really helping the patient move to the healthy mouth that they deserve. The hygienist doesn't want to know, be known as a gum gardener. She doesn't be the one who scrapes your teeth. She wants to know that she's the only practitioner in the whole world that spends a minimum of two full hours with the patient every year. And the, the level of trust that she has is so high that she, the patient looks up to her literally or him in her terms of like the guardian of her oral health. Yep. Because the, the hygienist spends so much time looking at their mouth. So we empowered our hygienist and we literally tell the hygienist when we, when we interview them, it's like, we don't care if you clean people's teeth. And it's like the biggest shock for hygienists. They're like, what do you mean? I just spent two years of my life learning exactly how to have a fulcrum and how to sharpen my Gracie curette. So what we say to them is, of course we care that you clean their teeth. That's your job. You're a hygienist. What I care is how you create a relationship with your patients and how do you empower them to be able to have a healthy mouth that could possibly change and save their life. How do you make sure that when you have a patient, they need an oral cancer screening and it's not an option. We do it because that's the standard of our practice. And if the standard of the practice doesn't work for you, this is not the place for you. We do it very gently. We show them that we really care about them because we've created a vision of what type of practice we want to be. I practice in a town that has a million dentists. I practice in a state that has the most dentists per patient capita in the world. And it doesn't affect us because we're true to our vision. We really, when we're able to change people's lives, when we take people that come in that have just had patchwork done because the, the, insur the dentist just uh, build out their $1,500 every year and never really even had a game plan. It was like the quarterback throwing a Hail Mary and saying, hey, maybe somebody catches it. Maybe somebody doesn't. We'll see what happens. We'll have next year to try and see if we could throw the football again. So we changed that completely within our practice and amongst other things I talk about in my book. Uh, man, I love that. Everything you were saying was just was really resonating with me. We're, I'm kind of the same way. I've adopted the same, a lot of the same principles and the fact that you know, you're not letting insurance dictate kind of what is in the patient's best interest, but, but the patients aren't really losing that benefit of their insurance. So we're the same way. We just don't take assignment. Um, or, exactly. Or sign up the plan. So I, I, I dig that about you and I, I'm glad to hear that that's working, you know, because a lot of times I, you know, people say, well, oh, you've got a unicorn practice and this and that. And I'm saying, well, is that really not true? Good? Yeah. So it's good. It's not cool true. That you're, you're, you're doing it. Um, you're doing it. So really, here's, here's the beauty in dentistry. We don't mm -hmm. need that many patients. We don't need that many patients. You just don't. You need to be able to have a comfortable living, make a, be able to provide for your family, mm -hmm. and be happy doing what you need to do. Now, if you want to have a monster practice like you guys have, and you have the solution to be able to you know, do what you do every day, then all power to you. But a traditional general dentist, like I'm a general dentist, I just want to be able to provide to my family what I need. I, I never go into my practice thinking of how much money I'm going to make today. Mm -hmm. I, every day when we come in, it's how many lives can we change? How many lives can we save? Because the money will always come. If you go and focus on the money, the patients will see right through you. Yep. Never about the money. No, I agree. It's just, yeah. And I, I totally adopt that philosophy. It's just, you know, obviously I've done it at scale a little bit more, but I'm, I'm totally in line because, you know, we actually practice complete health dentistry here and I'm really vibing on the fact that you're talking about your hygienists and them being the lifesavers that they are because they truly are the unrecognized hero in dentistry. You know, I, as we talk about the oral systemic connection, which, you know, we don't have to dive deep into now, but 
What I want to talk about, because obviously you're the expert with the, the smile syllabus way and course that uh, Dr. Curry went to, is I want to discuss things that are hot in dentistry right now. And that's, you know, the analog versus digital and how you mentioned in one of your videos that I watched that, you know, we will never really eliminate the analog process. Just digital integration is here to simplify and better and faster the way we do things already. Absolutely. It's, um, and it's so true. A lot of dentists think that they can possibly skip the steps of mastering analog dentistry and think that a computer will just fix everything for you. And you know why I think they think that? Because if the computer screws up, they can always blame the computer. If the lab screws up, they can always blame the lab. If their assistant screws up, they can always blame the assistant. Dentists need to start taking responsibility for what they're doing. And that's what digital dentistry does for you. It's, we're never changing the analog concepts. All we're doing is we're taking the analog concept that we have the foundation of what's going on and making it streamlined, making it more fun, making it more profitable, making the quality of the dentistry that you're providing higher, de deleting the question marks that we have every single day in our practice. Oh shit, is the crown gonna fit? Which mm -hmm. technician worked on it today? Oh my God, is FedEx going to lose my package? I just took a huge impression. It took me two hours to do and I packed that cord and oh my God, I'm so afraid that everything is going to get screwed up and the patient's going to be upset at me. Is the temporary going to fit? Is the wax up correct? You know what, what is going on that's going to actually make it better? So those are anxieties that I had in my practice with the dentistry that I was doing and I didn't want to have it anymore. So in dentistry today, people when they go to the, the pharmacy and they have a headache, do you think anybody buys regular strength Tylenol? Nobody buys regular strength Tylenol. They buy extra strength extra Tylenol strength. and they pop a thousand milligrams, mm -hmm. right? And the quick release, because people want the release, they want the, the satisfaction right away. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. no, I agree, agree. So when a patient gives you a tremendous amount of money that they've been saving up for a really long time, the last thing you could do is screw up. The last thing you could do is, hey, sorry, I'm sorry the lap messed up. I'm sorry. You need to take control to get rid of all those question marks. So as simple as I'll give you an example, one of the things we teach at our courses in Smile Syllabus is the simple single unit crown and the simple night guard. So how many times has, um, what, do you, what do you say the UCR for a night guard is? I would say probably in $400 range. 400, 500, anybody, people, depending if you're a TMJ guy, maybe you charge a thousand, four to 500 bucks, right? Yeah. So your, com your competition for a night guard is who right now? Uh, my competition for a night guard is every other dentist, I guess. No. The like competition for, for your oh, night guard oh, is. The grocery store. The grocery store. The, the, the part, grocery uh, store yeah, for the 20 bucks. And they could yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. yeah or, or the Amazon that gives you one for free, yeah, yeah. or yeah. the Costco that gives you. So they're like, well, I know that I'm going to wear, down, wear it down and I know that it's not as good as the custom one you make, but you know what? It's only 25 bucks. I could buy 20 of those and blow through 20 of those as opposed to you giving me one, right? Mm -hmm. So what do we do? My, uh, night guards are like the hidden moneymaker in 3D dentistry. We do as simply as taking a 3D scan, right? We take our trios or our three shape. We could scan an arch in about a minute faster than an alginate could set upper or lower, take a bite. We import that into our software. We could design a night guard for the patient. Let your assistant could design the night guard in less than five minutes. And you know what? You could print five of them 
and it only costs you two cents more per each one. So you print five night guards, right? And when the guy loses it or the guy breaks it, he's not, I hate my dentist. I paid 400 bucks and it's gone. He has four free ones or five free ones, whichever one, how many you want to do. And you wow. deliver that. And guess what? When they lose it, you just print it again. Wow. No matter how many Glidewell, no many, how many Glidewell coupons you have, it can never be as profitable as that. You know, you have to understand, I practice in the state of New Jersey. 75% of my patients grind their teeth. Okay. <laughs> so night guards is a big deal. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, talk about one, let's talk about one other thing. So I have, a big impl- I have, I have an implant practice uh-huh. and a single, a single unit screw retained zirconia crown. You average price from a lab. It's anywhere between like, let's look at the typical Glidewell. It's anywhere between $299 and $399. Okay, so that's, okay that's like cheap. Yeah, 400, exactly. Imagine that now you place the implant, you take a scan body, which you have a ton of them, your, your, your implant company will give it to you. You scan the patient. The patient's been waiting for their teeth for at least two months, right? Their posterior teeth, you wait longer, four months, and you don't want teeth to drift. So on a Monday, you scan the patient. We teach you how to do this. You scan the patient. You have a, a milling machine that costs under thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and you scan the patient. You design a single unit crown in the in the software that we recommend, and you mill out a zirconia crown for less than five dollars. And then the next day, you can deliver a gorgeous, beautiful zirconia crown. That's the shade that you chose. That's the occlusion that you set. That's the morphology that you did. Now, all of a sudden, you're more profitable because you know what. You paid $400 for that lab bill. Well, now I have $390 in my pocket that you never had. Wow. So I don't need to see more patients. You need to see more patients because every time you take an impression, forget your impression material, forget all that nonsense, forget the analog that you have to buy. I don't need an analog. I don't even need a model because the digital dentistry is so accurate because we understand what we're doing. We're making sure that our implants are placed correctly by using digital technology to help us do that. We're still using the analog concepts to understand where we place the implant, how we place the implant. But all of a sudden, we have the ability, we don't need to buy. You know, this wasn't a reality for a long time because milling machines that can do zirconia cost anywhere between $250,000 and a million dollars. And they were so big, they never fit in 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 an office. They're like, I can't. Today, we can put a desktop milling machine that's made out of zirconia and it can mill a crown in 15, 20 minutes. We put it in the oven the next at, at night your staff comes in in the morning, they polish it, connect it to the tie base, boom, it's ready for delivery. No headache. Those Zircon Zon Millers? No. No. So that's the thing. A lot of people believe, like, a lot of these monster generic slash branded companies have done such a great job to convince dentists that they need to buy their machine. And no other machine in the world is good enough. Well, guess what? If you ask the single lab guy who makes $10 on a crown, because he uh, he's runs his business the way he runs his business, he doesn't have a $300,000 Zircon on. Mm-hmm. He has a typical machine that costs under $30,000. That's a workhorse. That's simple. That has as little components as possible to break. Because you know what? A crown is not so difficult to make. But it's been a, it's been a, a hidden secret that either the labs have convinced us or the companies have convinced us or we've convinced ourselves to say, hey, you know what? This is what's going on. And the thing is, is that I have a, I have a, uh, um, I used to practice in the state of Florida. I did my implant residency there. Florida was inundated with HMOs. It was a HMO heaven. 
And like I did zero implants when I lived there. And one of the things that it was is like, do it as cheap as possible. We don't care what type of lab you use. The patient doesn't know shit. We're only getting 200 bucks for this crown. Well, in the rest of the world, what's happening is that DSOs, venture capitalists have now decided that a dental practice, I mean, look at you guys, you've learned that dental practice is extremely profitable and you have a model and you've doubled it over and over, right? Yep. <laughs> so the DSOs are coming for the typical general dentist. And if the typical general dentist doesn't find a way to di differentiate themselves, they're going to get gobbled up. And what will happen is there'll be the high end guys are going to survive. And then the middle and the low end are going to be co connected together. You won't know if you walk into a Medicaid practice or if you walk into a PPO practice, nobody will know anymore. They'll all be the same. There'll be gorgeous offices. There'll be newly grads, gorgeous staff and incentivized uh, staff members. And the patient will never know. They'll be like, Oh, they sent me, they gave me free whitening. I agree. Oh, this is the best place. And they just spent $30,000 this week on advertising. How can I not go there? Everybody knows these people. They're the best. Little do you know, every time you come in for your hygiene check, you have another doctor. There's no continuity of care. And then we go back to the Hail Mary, hoping somebody's going to catch it. And then they'll end up in, a, in an office and be like, my mouth is a disaster. And you look at the x-ray and you're like, root canal crown, root canal crown. You start to add everything up over the next 10 years. They spend $20,000 and they're still in a huge mess. Because mm -hmm. what's happening in dentistry today is that there is access to care. No matter what people try and say to you that dental therapists don't, we need to come up with dental therapists. There's a ton of dentists and there's a ton of dentists that are willing to help people and they don't have the patients because the, the dentists, the patients don't show up. So when you actually bring this uh, access to care to people, you get to change people's lives and you could do it profitably and make it easier for the patient to have a better experience. It's so important because right now we did the worst job of creating the brand called dentistry. The brand of dentistry is the worst. And that's one of my goals in the next year that I have a huge project that I'm working with on with somebody that I know that we are going to be changing the brand of dentistry because of the way people think about when they think of dentists. So a paradigm shift of the old school dental mentality. You know? Like, you know, I hate going to the dentist. You guys are, you guys are going to change that. It's not a, so well, I don't, I guess you didn't see this video of mine, but you guys can go on my page, smilesyllabus.com. But I talk about somebody taught one of my lab technicians from Oregon taught me this. Mm -hmm. He told me, Jonathan, it's not a paradigm shift. It's a paradigm cliff. And if you're not ready for it, you're going to fall right off and, and die. You need to be ready because it's coming so fast. If you're the person that's just going to wait and hold on and see what's going to happen, you're done. It's changing so fast. And people, and let me tell you, the new, the new graduate is so hungry. Because he or she is so broke. Mm -hmm. and, and tied then you need to be ready. Yeah. So when you say it's so broken, meaning that you're saying, because you talked about the corporate dentistry, kind of the takeover, but and you say it's coming. And are you talking about the corporate entity or the digital, or the digital evolution or the digital uh, revolution, I should say, or all of that? Well, here's the thing. So the digital revolution has been owned by Serona for the past mm -hmm. 10, 25, actually 25 plus years. And the problem is that I'm a, I've owned, I've been a CEREC user for a very long time. I don't use CEREC anymore. But the problem with CEREC is that it was always, a, specifically with the advent of zirconia now, it's always been a subpar restoration. I've done a ton of Emacs and it works really, really well. And people that are paid by Serona will always tell you, CEREC's are great. And I'll tell you, CEREC is great. The patients that I have CEREC, they've had them for 10 plus years from the years that I've practiced. But 
The problem is it was always $120,000 plus tax to get into this technology. Well, now when I decided like, you know what? I don't want to do single unit Emacs anymore. I want to do more. I want to do more dentistry and make it affordable to people. So we, I started looking into the technology and there was no handbook. Nobody knew anything. Whenever you ask somebody, they're like, Sarek, or a digital dentist meant digital x-rays. Or when they thought about digital dentistry, they thought it was like a surgical guide. That's so small. It's such a small part of what we could do today that I started looking. And again, there was no answers. Nobody knew anything. Nobody knew what, what technologies talk to each other. Nobody knew what the technologies can actually do because the people that held the technology, they tried to save it for themselves. So let's, let's go over it. Let's think about acquisition technology, right? Acquisition technology would be a scanner. So there's been other scanners out there. But the problem is, is the person that sells it to you knows less than you. So they will go ahead and they'll tell you, you can do everything with this scanner. Then you go, you turn the scanner on and nothing works. Nothing fits. And you know what you say? You're like, screw this. You call your lab and your lab's like, yeah, digital doesn't work. Just send me a snap of a quick impression like you've been doing for the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you give up on the acquisition. Then when you talk about the, man, the design, the design process was only Sarek. Nobody knew of anything else. No, and people were like, ah, this is so hard. I don't want to take this on. This is too much work. Well, you know who does the majority of design for dentistry today? Gamers. People that play video games with zero dental education. So if you think that they could figure it out, you don't think that you with your vast knowledge of technology, vast knowledge of morphology, vast knowledge of occlusion, vast knowledge of dentistry can figure out how to put a freaking uh, tooth where it's supposed to be. It's simple. Then we talked about manufacturing. Like, I don't want to be a lab. It's too much work. This is just, it's too much. I I just want to write a prescription and go home. Well, that's fine. But when you get a $400 bill for your single unit implant that your insurance is only paying you $1,200, guess what? You only have possibly $300 left. But I have $1,100 left. So you know what? I get to spend more time with my family. I get to change more people's lives because I can lower the price and still be more profitable. Right? When somebody says to me, Jonathan, I really only have X amount. Can you help me? And if it still works for me and this person is really nice, I'm like, you know what? I could do it. it takes me to, I've been doing this for so long. I can place an implant in so, in so little time. So let's change people's lives. Let's help them and let's use technology to help them. Let's not take technology and say, you know what? I'm going to increase my prices because I invested in this technology and I'm going to charge people more because that is just defeat. The purpose is to help change people's lives by utilizing technology to do that. Yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And it's the right motive you're, you're saying it's yeah, not to, not to scale your, your profits, but just to com- provide a better, better, faster, easier experience for the patient and, and being able to empathize with where they are. If, if that's, if they're in a, in a tight, as we call it, in my family, you're in a tight. Um, yep. I want to go back to the night guard thing just for a second. I wrote this down just so I made sure I wouldn't forget it. When you say you said printed five of them, Right. And so I'm guessing it's like a, like a, I don't know the name of it. Is it, the, I have this, the 3D printer, like the three form. Is it three form, free form? Form lab, form lab. Form lab. There you go. Thank you. Um, so something like that. And literally you're just printing materials in your office. Right. And that's why you're saying it doesn't cost more to print five per se than it does one. That's correct. It's an extra milliliter. Okay. Wow. I mean, like, it's not that much. It's a, and it's there's no labor because there's no model all digital it's all virtual wow. and it's become so precise if you understand again you could still buy a piece of technology and assume that it's going to fix everything but i can tell you the people that come to my courses their their eyes open up because they, you don't know what you don't know 
And one of the things I teach, one of the missions I have in my practice, I teach them how to get through all the BS. And uh, what I find is a lot of dentists lie. They just do. They lie all the time. They say that they make more money than they do. They say they're more successful than they do. They say they're not incentivized by another company when they are. They push a specific product because they have an ulterior motive. And they're not honest with themselves. And I think one, one, that was one of the goals of Smile Syllabus was to be completely impartial. I show you why I do what I do and how I do it. And you have the decision to make what you want to do. People ask, we have a great, one of the things that people get out of our, of our courses, we, we have a, a Facebook group called the Smile Syllabus Alumni. And I'm going to tell you, I'm so proud of them. They're like these like-minded dentists who are like literally at the top of their game and they're doing so well. And they're having so much fun. They're like, one of them said to me, Jonathan, thank you so much. You changed my life. Wow. And like, to me, that's the best thing in the world. Like, I don't care about how much money I have. I'm successful, but I don't care because that is everything. Like my team always says to me, like, you always get upset when the, when you show the patient the makeover and they're like, okay, it looks good. And they don't like start crying or anything. I was like, yeah, I want them to cry because I put so much work into this. Yeah. I want a reaction because I know that I made a difference. If I don't think I can make a difference in it, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, and the good tears are, are pretty, you know, when, when I see people holding back good tears, I'm like, no, go for it. Because like good tears in life Absolutely. are, are rare. Like it's, it's amazing. It's negative tears, but like the good tears, I want to see uh, it. It's on. Absolutely. It's so, yeah. so powerful because, you know, we, people that have teeth, people that have a smile, they'll say, eh, not a big deal. Even dentists, if you ask a dentist, how many people would spend $60,000 to fix their mouth? They'd be like, just give me a denture. Even some dentists don't even value their own oral health, right? Yeah. But when you see a patient that's taken the time and the investment to do this, and I, I always see it, they sigh so loud, like they just took 5,000 pounds off of their shoulder and they, made, and they just feel like, oh my God, I no longer have to worry about smiling. I no longer have to worry about what I'm going to eat. I no longer have to worry about in a picture to keep my lips closed. It's, yeah, it's yeah. tremendous what we could do today. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it, it, it totally a game changer for sure. And um, we've talked about digital impressions and the workflow and the things that you can be can do with them. Can you talk a little bit about 3D implant, uh, implant guides that you're printing? Yep. So think of it this way. A lot of people, I, I'm a I'm, a, I'm not the biggest guide user in the world. People that know me, I don't use guides as much. Mm -hmm. Typically because my patients, my patients come in and their dentition is inundated with metal. And one of the things we have, we haven't, we haven't really found a simple solution. We've had solutions, but we haven't found a simple solution to make a guide on a patient that has a ton of metal. There are radiographic markers that you can create, but one of the workflows in my practice is when a new patient comes in, we take a CT scan on them. And we don't know if they're moving forward with treatment, so we're not going to do all this extra stuff to try and make a guide for them. So we've created workflows to get around that. But think of it like just like the typical general dentist is doing singles and doubles. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that surgical guides are great for is that if you're a super busy dentist, it's really going to help, help you. Because when you have the ability to plan a case before, right, like it's a video game, and then print a guide for less than five. Because back in the day, people never did guides. The number one reason they didn't do guides was because they didn't want to wait for Simplant that was in Belgium and pay $500. They're like, I just don't have the money in it. Yeah. I'm not charging enough. And the patient doesn't want to pay $500. So I'll just freehand it with my pen. But today, there's literally no excuse for a case like an edentulist number 30, edentulist number 19, 3, 14, number 4, where you have to put an implant perfectly right in the middle. There's just no excuse for a malpositioned implant. 
There just isn't. Yeah, it's almost just like no excuse. You know, like between. I hate. I hate to use the word. You know, why I hate to use the word standard of care because what will happen is a lawyer will listen to this podcast and then you'll get a letter and say, "Hey, I'd like to hire you as an expert because you believe that a surgical guide is a standard of care." It's do not, not the standard you. of care. <laughs> yeah, do not call you. It's do not. Me. It truly is not the standard of care, but it's a standard that we should use. And if we're not going to use a guide, you should place the implant as well as if you were using a guide. That's my barometer. And like when I look at a uh, lateral incisor that the, you know, the space is tiny Mm -hmm. and I got to be right on the money, there's no excuse. Use a surgical guide so that you'll be perfect. So you give the patient the best treatment they possibly can have. If there's a patient missing tooth number 19 and the nerve is very close and it's possible that if you place the implant maybe one or two millimeters worse and like you drop into a lingual concavity and you're going to hurt the patient, then use a surgical guide you know what? It's going to make your life easier and your assistant's going to be like, wow. And your patient's going to be like, wow. And you know what? It, it's okay. So for me, when I have like single unit cases that are edentulous, I mean, I always use a guide because it's just too easy not to. Right. Just and too anxiety, easy not to. That anxiety you spoke of, you know, you, were, you recognize the anxiety associated with your day-to-day operations and you said, I'm going to eliminate the things that I can. And so, you know, I think the guide is kind of a warm fuzzy. When you have a guy going into surgery, you're like, I'm going to put this thing in perfectly. And I know it's going to work well because I planned it on, with my own two hands. And- you don't even have to look. You don't yeah. even have to look. They have keyless drills today where it's depth-specific length, everything, everything is, is, is pre-planned. You know, they used to have these key guides that are a little bit cumbersome and they're annoying, but today the guide and the key and everything is built into the drill. It's like drilling with somebody, your, your dental school professor who is the best in the world holding your hand every Mm -hmm. single time, every single time. Why wouldn't you? And why wouldn't you want to do it? you spoke about the, uh, the bottlenecks and the remove that for getting, and that was a, something I was witnessing in our practice um, before making the conversion and doing our own uh, 3D printing our guides was that it just the, the lag time and waiting for it to get back to, I guess it was Belgium. I don't know where it was coming from, but, but that yep. was a bottleneck. Belgium. That was a bottleneck in the production. I said, why, why are we waiting on this case long? Oh, it takes four weeks to get back a surgery. Oh, Monday, Monday morning. Oh, here's the consult. Would you like to have your, your surgery Monday afternoon? Sure, no problem. Let's yeah. schedule it. That's awesome. So is this, is this you know, everything that we've spoken of? Is this obviously something that you, you go over in your course? I want to I hear about so, your course and kind of the, the whole, the syllabus, no pun intended. Yeah, so definitely. So we've been on the phone for about 40 minutes. Could you honestly say that I've given you more information in 40 minutes than you've ever heard in your life? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of been a fire hose. I'm not going to lie. It's a fire hose. Exactly. So what I do is in, what I tell people is I'm a huge car guy. Like I love cars. That's like my drug. I love, love cars. And uh, the beginning of my course, I basically, um, I I guess it's, you know, what's your drug? My my favorite right now it's a McLaren. Oh, nice. So, uh, I'll tell you what, I tell you what's beautiful about an English car. Ready? I'll just, I'll just lay off for a second. It's so precise. It's so beautiful. It's like a suit. It's like fits perfectly. It's lightweight. It doesn't get angry at you right? And it has a little punch when you want it to say a punch. Italian cars, which I've had, it's gorgeous. All the information is in the motor, but the second it gets pissed at you, you're done. You might as well give up. <laughs> so um, anyhow, getting back to the course. So I start off the course with, um, now I'm blanking out. Uh, he was from, he's in the Grand Tour now, but it was Top Gear. Is Jeremy, Jeremy, Clark, Jeremy Clarkson. Yep. And he has a very famous picture of him driving an aerial Atom 
And if you know what Ariel Anim is, it's a one seat, a two seater car. Actually, no, I think it's a one seater car. That's classic. Yes. Classic. So I say to them, I was like, if at any point in time you feel like Jeremy Clarkson, raise your hand because I have 1800 slides and I have 16 hours to do it. So let's go. So I go through so much that allows people to, because one of the things I made a decision for in my, in my lectures is that how many times did I leave my family? How many times did I leave my practice? And I went to do a course that had the best marketing in the world. It had great marketing. And then I got there. I took time away from my family, sat in a hotel by myself. And then when I came home on Sunday night, my wife used to say to me, so how was the course? I'm like, it was bullshit. They're trying to sell me something else. The guy didn't give it all. It was like, he wasn't inspired. He wasn't, he was like, he was sort of like uh, Dikembe Mutombo in the end of his career. He's just like, eh, I guess I could stuff a couple people. I, I don't know. So it's like you lecture so much. Some people make a living lecturing. I make a living being a dentist. And one of the things I made a decision was I swore, I, I swore that the second I, lo- I lose inspiration or I lose my passion, I would stop lecturing. But one of the things I can make a mission to my, to my patients is to my patients, to my, to the clinicians that come is that I guarantee you that you will not leave here without your goal. So at the beginning of a course, everybody writes one thing that they came to learn for. And we read it out, we read it out loud before the course comes and I make sure that I will address it. So I know what every person is there for. And then when the course is over, the last thing we do before they get dismissed is that we call out everybody. They don't write their names. Like you asked that you want to learn how to make a night guard with a 3d printer. Did you figure did, did I teach that to you? And they say, yes. And if they say no, we don't let them leave till they get what they wanted to get. And that was my commitment to them because I, I understand, like I said, for me, it's not about paying me to t- teach my course. I teach it in my facility, in my office. I don't really have any overhead. The building is there. The room is empty. It's like my lab during the uh, year where I test all my workflows off. And, you know, a couple times a year, people come in. I invite them in as guests into my practice, into my home. And I want to make sure that, you know what, I can create a legacy for myself. So where I, when somebody says that they did something for their patient that helped change their lives and they learned it at Smile Syllabus, then I created my legacy. That's all I care about. Wow. I, I don't know so, that being done, that approach. And, you know, and I've been to a lot of CE in my life and I've never had someone at the front end say, Hey, what's, what's the, let's reverse engineer this. What do you want to get out of it? And then let's, let's make sure that that happens. You know, everyone's just like, hey, you know, get the value. You know why? Cause they don't care. They already have your money. They don't mm-hmm. care if you come back. It's like the typical dentist that doesn't invest in the relationship of their patients. Invest in the relationship of your patients because a loyal patient, the statistic of a loyal customer is worth 12 times what they initially spent. Always. 12 times. You need to keep, you need to keep that relationship going. If you Google loyalty programs, how to create loyalty within your clients, and it talks about that. You want to keep the people that are your biggest fans. The biggest fans are your patients. They come back every six months or every four months, depending on their perio. And they're your fans. Empower them because that's the people you want talking about you. Don't push aside your patients and focus only on your new patients. I mean, your new patients are so important. They're a lifeline to some practices, right? Like my practice, my, uh, part of our lifeline is our new patients because we fix patients. We have nothing left to do on them. Right. So an influx of new patients is always very important for us because we don't do patch dentistry. Like we fix all their mouth at once and for all, or we don't do it at all. They're like, well, can I do a crown this year and a crown next year? No, you're doing it all or you're not doing it at all. Because when things then start, then what happens is you start chasing your tail. That's a whole different podcast about treatment planning and how to take control of a case that I learned when I was at Penn. 
So if you need to take control of your case, because then it just gets out of control and you're just chasing your tail over and over and the patients just leave. They lose, they lose uh, the trust in you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I do teach that. <laughs> you teach the treatment planning and the te- treatment pl- presentation and verbiage and all that stuff? Uh, well, it, it, most of it is in my book. We haven't, put a, we haven't put a course together based on my book, but if you're super smart and you take the time to read my book called The Trust Factor, it's on Amazon, you can figure out everything that I do. It's so simple. It's really not difficult. I'm going to order it. I'm going to order it. Doc, I know I've kept you on the Sweet. phone. Sweet, I just made three bucks. Now you can print out some, print out the zirconium crown almost now with the the cost I just saved you. (laughs) Made you five bucks. Oh man! Uh, So I'm gonna I want to end this with a quick speed round, which I'm trying to get back to, which I started early on in the podcast, and somehow you know we've done about forty episodes, and I I but I want to hear kind of your speed round because you have been the fire hose, and I want to hear some of your answers, and then I want to end the one the the question in the speed round I want to end with is very applicable. what I've been dying to ask you, but I think it'll be, it'll close up this podcast really well. So first question, what is your favorite book or book you've gotten the most value from? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Nice. Okay. A productivity tool, app, or software that you use every day that you think helps, you know, move the needle forward for you? ExoCAD. Exo. Okay. That's the implant design software? Uh, no, that's the tooth, tooth design software. Oh, the tooth design. Okay. And lastly, which we've already touched on here and there, but where do you see the future of dentistry? And I'm going to leave that pretty open-ended. Uh, I talked about it. I think that the middle of the road general, general dentist solo practitioner is going to go away completely. Yep. Um, it's going to get bought out because as the dentists get older, they are going to uh, not want to deal with this bullshit anymore. They're going to be like, I don't want to deal with this. And they're going to basically sell their practice to the highest bidder. And the highest bidder will be the venture capitalist. Um, the Medicaid practice will get very, very powerful as more and more uh, government insurance starts to come. And the middle, again, like I said, the middle of the road and the Medicaid practice will become one practice. And the high end, I hate calling the high end, the high service, the service oriented dental practice will thrive tremendously. And that's not only the dental practice. A lot of people think that like, I'm, a, I'm the anti-dental lab, but the dental lab that actually, uh, dental labs are closing at a rapid pace. And I think that the reason that they're closing at a rapid pace is because they're their own enemy. They don't want to invest in their lab. They're burnt out. And it's probably a good thing that they're not in the, in, in the lab business anymore. But the labs that embrace digital technology to be more profitable, to, do turn, to turn around a, a case faster, more profitably, and more beautiful, those labs are going to be so busy, they're not going to, want to, do, they're not going to know what to do with their, with their time. So it's going to be seeing- so, so busy that, Sorry, you're saying elimination of the middle, let's call it middle class, quote unquote, right? So middle class practices, yeah. labs, but you're seeing that the, the ends being uh, amplified. That's correct. Okay. That's what I believe. Okay. What about the future of dentistry in the technology space? You've talking about it from, you know, the acquisitions and, and stuff like that. But um, what about the future of technology? Where do you see that going? Um, I think it's going to be so huge that uh, the same way that coding is like a huge gig for people to get into. Now, uh, designing and virtual reality and CAD CAM and just uh, fo- the Photoshop of dentistry is going to become huge that, that kids are going to go into it. It's going to be something that'll be like, whoa, this is pretty cool. I can make a, a good living playing a video game every day. And millennials may go into it. And uh, what will happen is, is that less dentists will retire because they're going to be so reinvigorated with this technology. They're going to be like, I don't want to give this up. This shit's so much fun. 
Mm-hmm. I now don't have a loan anymore. I could do the dentistry I've always dreamed of doing and make it fun. It's like I'm doing something completely different. You know, some people retire to do something different, but now they're going to have the ability to stay in dentistry and do something different, but do something better. And at the same time, let me tell you, changing people's lives is like a drug. Mm-hmm. It's addictive. It's literally addictive. I, it's, it's tremendous. Tremendous. Wow. I, I do feel like Jeremy Clarkson right now. Um, Love it. You get, you get, and I, and, well, I hope you come in January. I would January love to, 18th honestly, and 19th. I would love to. Register, um, y'all. I will, Register. I'm going to get on it. I'm going to get on well, it. I wanna, I, well, one last thing I wanted to tell you. So um, I know that I, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw in the signature of the email that I got is that you, the name of your practices in Atlanta is called what? The Atlanta Dental Spa. I love it. So I started my practice 10 years ago. And I guess we could end with this because this is where, where things have completely changed. When I practiced, opened my practice 10 years ago, the name of my practice was Jonathan Dental Spa. So my dream was to have a dental spa. And what that meant to me was it's going to be, there's going to be aromatherapy, there's going to be massage, there's going to be all the, all the spa amenities, paraffin, uh, paraffin wax treatment, mm-hmm. all, all this shit, all the 3D glasses. I moved to New Jersey. I opened my practice, my dream, Jonathan Dental Spa. I'm a little bit narcissist, but my name has to be in it. I start asking my patients, okay, would you like to do the wax? They're like, no, just get it done. Would you like to do the 3D glasses? Would you like to do the, the massage? They're like, no, just get it done. I just want to get this done. I don't want my eyes to be closed. I don't want any of this stuff. So I'm in a conundrum because 10 years later, we sit back and we start to evaluate our practice. And we're like, my name is Jonathan Dental Spa. Everybody knows that I'm a Jonathan Dental Spa. People make fun of me all the time that I have a dental spa. I go, what do you do there? Massages? Like I heard all the jokes in the world. It's so stupid. So I thought about it. I was like, well, I'm not going to bastardize the brand that I created. So what I did was we created a new uh, thing of what Jonathan Dental Spa actually means. And it's truly what the mission of our practice is. Jonathan Dental Spa stands for service, passion, and affordability. Because that's really what we are. We're a place where we'll give you the best service in the world. You'll have so much passion. You'll see the passion with everybody that works there because they really care about what they do. And we're going to make it affordable for you. We don't need to make it unaffordable for people. I want to treat everyone that has the ability to want to be healthy. I don't need to treat the rich because the rich are a pain in the ass and they're rich because they don't spend money. I want to treat the hardworking person that, you know what, is super embarrassed of their smile. They're super embarrassed to be able to go out. And I want to help the, the doctors do that for other people. I want to change the brand of dentistry, service, for passion, and affordability. That is, that's an awesome mission, man. Something I can totally get behind. And um, yes, yes, I want to hear more. And I, I want to hear more in person. So, buddy, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. I, I truly enjoyed it. I gleaned, gleaned a lot of value from it personally. So thank you. Uh, thanks again. I know you're taking time away from your Of family. course. I could hear your kiddos. And I know this is valuable time for you. So I appreciate you sending your message out to the listeners here. All right. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak. Online at BulletproofDentalPractice.com. We'll catch you next time.